Fast Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Fireman, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. A Beyond Beatdown. Shares of Beyond Meat plunging in the after hours after reporting results. The company's conference call is now underway. We'll bring you the big highlights. Also ahead, two names to buy, two names to sell as we kick off the busiest earnings week of the season. And later, some food for thought. The one part of the market Goldman Sachs is bullish on because... Amazon can't eat its lunch. But we begin with the hot mover right now, Beyond Meat, down big after reporting results. Let's get to Aditi Roy with more on Beyond's quarter. Aditi. Hi, Melissa. Beyond Meat shares taking a dive, as you mentioned, after the company announced a secondary share offering. Shares slipped more than 11 percent after the company made that announcement, a secondary offering of three and a quarter million shares, which significantly increases its float. That could boost short seller interest in the stock, which prior to earnings was 16 percent of the float. Keep in mind that number itself was a bit inflated because the company is still in its lockup period. The company also just mentioned on the call it can't comment on that secondary offering due to regulatory requirements. Beyond's worst date to date was on June 11th when it lost more than 25%. Keep in mind, the stock is still up a little less than 700% since its IPO. Many analysts were also focused on the company's top line growth. Beyond attributes its handy top line beat to a number of factors, including new partners, as well as increased demand from existing partners. We are using our first mover advantage to drive continued expansion in both retail and food service channels. Today, we have achieved broad distribution across more than 53,000 points of sale worldwide. This is up from about 30,000 points of sale at the time of our IPO just three months ago. We are expanding offerings at existing retail and food service partners, as well as increasing velocities. What remains to be seen is how the company's guidance bears out with increased competition from companies like Tyson Foods and Impossible Foods, which has said it plans to roll out product to grocers and retailers this fall. As far as the short interest, earlier today I talked to Jim Lebenthal of Sarity Partners. He's also a CNBC contributor. He told me that he was undecided on whether to short the stock. He said he was waiting for a catalyst to break the stock's rise for at least two days. We'll have to see what tomorrow brings. But again, uh, shares are down right now, uh, almost 13 percent. Back to you, Melissa. And when does that lockup expire, Didi? Yeah, so that's a good question. October 29th is 180 days after the company went IPO. However, you know, built into that are we have to account for holidays and things like quiet periods. So uh, that's a question for analysts. Okay. Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco with the latest on Beyond suffering a huge fall in the after hour session. So if you're an investor in Beyond Meat, you're thinking that the lockup period doesn't hit, doesn't expire until sometime in the fall. And here we are Mm -hmm. with three and a quarter million shares coming to market Right. right now. What would you think? I guess I'd be a little bit perturbed, although we have seen this a couple of times mm-hmm. before, not often. We were trying to remember, actually, in the green room. We think GoPro, did yeah. that happen? And earlier the stock went to 90. And so uh, I guess you got to be prepared if you are a, a shareholder that stock could come, you know, they, they could do it under. It's interesting to me, three and a quarter million. The quarter million is, is actual new shares the company is issuing, which seem to me to be a fig leaf to allow the three million that insiders are selling, which are not new shares, they're existing shares, although the float will now be 30% more shares right. trading freely in the market. So that's, that's sort of interesting. You can't fault any insider for wanting to sell here. This is crazy. 
Yeah, and so they say they're going to they're going to waive that lockup period for this. And I would think if you are the investment banker or you're the selling shareholders here, which are venture capitalists, after a basically a 700 percent mispricing, the investment bankers don't have much of a choice. I mean, at two hundred dollars, they should have priced this so much closer to two hundred dollars rather than the original IPO price. So that's why they're allowing it to be unlocked. This is venture capitalists. You can't blame them for saying, listen, we need some liquidity in this uh, in terms of how it impacts the stock. They have a little bit more money to, to sp- spend on expansion. I still think you know, at these prices, I am definitely not a buyer. There will be a time when the stock craters and we'll say, you know, Beyond Meat's dead and all those things. It's dead meat. We'll come up with some witty type of thing to say. And that's when you want to buy it. So Maybe you just did. Maybe you just did. Yeah. There you go. You know, it's, it's typically when something like this happens, you know, use the second, wherever they price this thing, I believe on Wednesday, mm-hmm. they being, I think, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and one other bank. I'm not sure who it is, but see where it's priced. At least it gives you something to trade against. Now, BK brings up an interesting point. Was it mispriced? You know, I don't know. At $200, it's a $13 billion with a B dollar company. I mean, I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams thought by, you know, July 29th, this would be a $13 billion company. That said, if you're looking for the easy, well, as easy as it possibly can be, See where they price it on Wednesday and use that to trade around. So you're saying, let's say, let's just say for argument's sake, it priced at 190. Let's say 196 that. right now. That means that you think there's a floor at 190. Well, you know, it, I'm, I'm not saying there is a floor, but at least it gives you something you can trade around in well, terms of Well, people are willing to pay for the stock where right the now. the stock, yeah, that's an interesting way to oh. trade it. Two, two things that, that I, I see with something like this. First of all, having a massive market cap of $13 billion doesn't mean you have a great balance sheet. Um, so, in other words, raising cash here is, is, Brian talked about the ability to actually be tactical uh, at a time when why shouldn't you go to market? I mean, that, that makes sense to me. I realize that this is, this is insiders getting out, but to the extent that this is an opportunity, opportunity, um, I think. The, the other thing here is the free float is part of why the stock is trading where it is. So, it, it, you know, it, this should be encouraging short sellers. This should be encouraging folks who want to go after it in the market. And I think this is exactly what we've seen. A, a totally different business models, totally different situation. But it reminds me of Tilray. It reminds me of a case where we had this super hot IPO where there was no borrow small on the float, stock. Right. Totally right. small float. Um, insiders were actually raising liquidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had a chance for people to really go after the stock. And finally, all those people who shorted and it had been squeezed in their face, started to see some of the air come out of the balloon. So, so let's use that Tilray example. What happened to Tilray after the air came out of the balloon? Did the air ever go back into the balloon? No. No, and, yeah. and, and you know, went from 280 on a blow-off right. top um, all the way down to kind of the mid-30s. It's now trading in the low 40s um, and still at a valuation that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because another conversation we could easily have is, oh, you've got all these insiders, these VCs, selling when the stock's at $200 Why a share. Right. Why should Right. Why are they selling right now if, if they – I mean, I well, understand you can the, make the, a the lot liquidity. Of cases. Right. Liquidity, you can make right. a lot of cases for why they're – you know, maybe it's too big of a position now for them, right? When you have something mm-hmm. goes up, you know, 800 percent, 700 percent. Maybe that's why. I mean, I view this selling as the most innocuous. Um, nevertheless, it is selling. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it is selling, but listen, it's not like there's another 3 million. Well, I shouldn't say there probably isn't another 3 million shares behind it. Presumably, if you're going to do this, you satisfy all the supply that wants to come out. Mm-hmm. You get it done in one fell, fell swoop. Who would buy Beyond Meat? Would you, would you be interested in Beyond Meat in, down in, 12.5%? No, but, but again, but in full disclosure, when this stock... You know, we had talked about it back in June. We said, listen, this stock is a trade $100 tomorrow. If you were fortunate enough to get in after the IPO, somewhere around the open, you basically doubled your money. The smart thing to do is to sell half your position and the rest for free. 
$100 later, here we are. So, I mean, again, I had $100. I thought it was the right thing to do to be taking money off the table. So I would be, again, disingenuous for me to say, hey, you know, you got to short it here. It doesn't make sense to me. Again, $13 billion company, they're going to do maybe $300 million or so in revenues this year. The math just doesn't work. Obviously, it's good for other people, though. Yeah, and again, to compare the market cap, this is basically you know, almost half of Tyson. Um, it's almost one-third of Kraft. I mean, these are some of the biggest companies in the world. Talked about competition. Now, granted, uh, the fact that they've added 20,000 outlets um, and distribution points is, is very impressive, um, but, but it doesn't really feed to, sorry for the pun, but to the, the place where the competitive landscape, I think, is going to get wicked hot against these guys in a short amount of Why time. Why can't they compete against the Tyson, do you think? I mean, doesn't Beyond Meat at this point have the buzz factor that Tyson's root and whatever it is called doesn't, you know, that doesn't have it. Yeah, but, but, but unlike, again, you know, maybe bad metaphors, but unlike a Tesla or something where there's a leadership advantage, I, I, don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a technology advantage here. I don't think there's, there, there, there may have been some distribution advantage. And if, uh -huh. But again, if we're talking about the biggest food companies in the world, they can, they can, they can, they could walk well, right over those distribution let's, channels. Let's go down that road because Jim Cramer on the halftime report today actually called Ethan Brown uh, the Elon Musk of alternative huh. meat and Is made that, that well, comparison. Interesting. In, in terms of a visionary, visionary in terms of a new product out there that's mm -hmm. disrupting the current market, that's able right. to go out there and compete with the giants, with the legacy players like a Ford and a GM. Beyond Meat's going out there competing okay. against a Tyson and a Nestle and Tesla is somehow doing it um, to various degrees of success, yeah. depending on your point of view yep. of the stock. Yep. Right. No I question. mean, for some of these these uh, tie ups that they're getting, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, chains are happy to say we serve beyond meat burgers. OK, that's something. Although, I mean, these are big competitors. I, I mean, I, I can't even I remotely know. get close to this valuation. Yeah, I, but but I actually so they have shortages. Right. So what they've done here is create a better product just like Tesla did or created a better buzz around it, they've created a better product. I mean, I've tasted plenty of veggie burgers in my day, and they all taste like cardboard. I tried a Beyond <laughs> Meat Burger, and it was delicious, and I, I wanted to eat more of them. So I think they have something that is very different. I do think there is a mode around their business. That being said, a stock that's up 800%, and I don't care what asset class it is that's up 800%, you have to pause and say, you know what, take a little bit off. What's Snide coming? No, I, I was just thinking of sort of a side business for them to be, but I, the proper decorum <laughs> prohibits me from saying what, what aisle in like the pharmacy diapers? they should be. Yeah, if you know what I'm saying. Well, without given, given the problems you've had. Yeah, exactly. one, one example. Um, beyond, beyond. Uh, the conference call, by the way, is going on 40 minutes in. We'll bring you the details as we have them. Beyond, beyond meat, there are plenty of other names reporting this week. In fact, more than 30% of the S&P 500 is out with results, along with seven Dow giants. So how should you play the big week ahead? Chartmaster is here to literally give us the long and the short of it. Carter, take it away. Well, it is a big week, just like last week, and the stakes are high. You get it right, you get paid, and if you get it wrong, you take measures, limp home busted, as they say. So anyway, let's put a line down the middle. I've got you two buys and two sells, and each is not so much by the company, but by the pattern type. GE is a bearish to bullish reversal, a real dud that's starting to bottom. Square is a strong stock that looks like going to break out. P&G is vulnerable extended, too steep. I think you fade it, and Exxon is a weak stock that looks like it's going to get weaker. Let's look at the patterns. So, starting with uh, Square, a lot of tension here, but I think you can draw the lines many different ways. One, like this, you can see there are well-defined tops at a common level, and the presumption is that we're going to break out from these well-defined tops. That's a nice setup. You can see how symmetrical, putting the green arrow, the betting is this way. Another way to draw the lines for Square, 
would be as follows, but the same presumption. After a great run-up and a big period of tension, resolution up and out. All right, GE, by contradiction, a real dud, right? But I think this is what is called a bearish to bullish reversal. How to draw the lines? One way is just put in a moving average. Another way is to do a wedge. Here's the wedge. It's the same thing, but it's happening at a bottom as opposed to square at a top. My, my betting is that we're going to break out. Here comes the moving average to put in context. This line, you can use any one you want, but a longer term moving average typically is important. 200, 150. In this case, it's starting to bottom. It has all the look and feel of a bearish, it was very bearish, to bullish reversal. All right, two that I would fade. So this is a case of too good, too hot. Um, has come a long way, a couple ways to draw the lines. One with a trend line. But again, the principle is, yes, we've been perfectly off the trend line, but every time we've gotten this far above, we've checked back, we've checked back. I'm betting that we would check back. Another way to do it is instead of using an actual trend line, use an automated trend line, back to the 150-day moving average. How far can you get without ultimately getting reacquainted with your average price? The betting here is that it will not be good enough. And then ExxonMobil, you know, the truth is what? The truth is this. It's just a big old waste of time. But let's take this chart and talk about relative performance. To the thinking that here we have the low in the market and that the stock has bounced, yes, albeit barely, but it's making new two and three and four year lows. Not so good. Uh, this is the, another one that I would fade. Carter, come on over. Yeah. Without a doubt, right? Yeah. Jonah will bring the chair over. Thank you, Jonah. Thank you, sir. Uh, I want to start with Procter & Gamble because Staples had a new high today. So is this as much a, a, a sector call as it is a Not Procter so & Gamble call? I mean, okay. Just, just before, you know, technique, you mentioned something about good techniques to wait for earnings and then to press, like if short should press it, or wait for the strength and then go after it. It's a little higher risk to do this because you can really get murdered, right, if you get it wrong, the direction. But in terms of Procter, we know that it's had three quarterly beats in a row. Two of them, the stock advanced aggressively. Last quarter, it beat again, but it didn't move higher. And I think you have that risk again here. So you showed it coming to the trend line multiple times. How far below is that trend line? So what do you think this? Well, risk so if of you use the trend line itself, up? it's three to five percent. If you use the moving average, it's more like seven or eight. Mm -hmm. But I think the principle is this: that anything in an uptrend, or most often, are characterized by counter-trend sell-offs. Just as downtrends, even on your way to zero, have stocks have counter-trend rallies. So counter-trend moves against the primary trend. This is the part of the way markets work. Procter & Gamble to me, and I know Carter's still here, I'm not, so I won't ask him directly, but I'll just make a comment. He's still here. You can ask him directly. But I'm just going to... I, I haven't come yeah, kind of weird. I, I, get, I get concerned. I'm so scared now ever since we brought him back. When he was. My concern with Procter & Gamble is simple. It trades 25 times next year's earnings, Carter. It's had 6% EPS growth. What are people looking at in Procter & Gamble that they think the stock is continuing? Well, we do have maybe a, a sort of a roadmap think what Coke did. Now, Coke is equally, quote, expensive with equally uninspiring growth, and yet Coke popped dramatically on its earnings. So the bull case would just be that, you know, somehow this is a, uh, a place that you can be okay, even if it's stretched. My thinking is that it won't do what Coke did, and that, in fact, it's more risk to the downside. Yeah. Carter, how, how does Square uh, appear relative to some of the other high multiple tech stocks in the space that really actually didn't have a very good quarter? Uh, look at PayPal, look at some of the other Right, peers. and Square's was the greatest winner of all. Yep. Right? Blew away all this, and now it's been the laggard. And the thinking here, at least uh, what I see, is that this recent relative performance is the setup for the catch-up. Um, the others are just, well, all fintech is up and to the right, right, mm -hmm. and very extended. Mm -hmm. I think this is an opportunity. 
Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. You Goodbye, bet. Carter. Goodbye, the guests. Is that clear? Formal. I hope that was no, clear. Yeah. Words. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. BK, which of the Carter's trades do you like? Square. Easily square. And I, you can talk about the valuation, but what's interesting about Square is data is the new oil. What does Square have? Data. GE. So, GE, the, my number one pick in the Power Lunch stock draft. It, it, I think the bar has been so lowered for 2Q in terms of free cash flow. The company said minus one to two billion. I, you know, to me, the comp is actually not that difficult. I think GE's bad news is very, very baked in. All right, coming up, your call of the day. The one part of the market Goldman Sachs is bullish on because it's Amazon proof. We'll bring you the name. Plus, more on Beyond Meat's big quarter. You'll hear from one top-ranked analyst who says, beware of getting burned by the sizzling stock. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Goldman working up an appetite for fast food stocks. The firm out with a bullish note on a number of names in the space. And this is our call of the day. Goldman slapping buy ratings on Chipotle, Wingstop, Starbucks, Shake Shack, and McDonald's. Goldman saying the restaurant space is a rare part of the market that has yet to get hit by the Amazon effect. Guy. Yeah, I, they, uh, well, respectfully, they just came to this conclusion. I mean, nobody, I'm not trying to be a wise guy. I mean, this does, they don't seem to be splitting the atom here. I mean, some of these price targets... Are fantastic. At CMG, $1,000. I mean, I guess good for them for putting it out there. I think there are a lot of reasons to be bullish a lot of these names. I'm not certain that Amazon Proof is one of them. But I'll play the game real quick, and I'll go to Starbucks. I mean, you're talking about a company with crazy valuations. Just as Goldman initiated, I think, with a buy, you had other people downgrade the name as well. So I think you're coming in with a lot of these stocks. The valuations matter. The one that really stands out to me, and I worked there for a day, as you know, with Shake a value... Shack. Mm -hmm. Shake Shack, which a valuation which is really through the roof, yet their growth is pretty outstanding. So you have to ask yourself, does Shake Shack make sense here? Is it sort of in the, in the area that Chipotle was a, a year or so ago? And is there upside? I say yes. I guess embedded, though, in this note and in, in this whole notion that this is um, Amazon proof is that should these stocks command a higher valuation at this point? Does the valuation of a Starbucks, can we say, okay, fine, I'm going to pay up for that because you know what? People still need to go get their coffee. They're yeah. not going to get that delivered by Amazon and, and burritos as well. Well, there was a couple other things underlying the piece. It was actually quite a, quite a lengthy piece, yes. so maybe that's like what took thick. them so long. So I didn't get through the whole thing. But some of the things that they do point out are, so we've seen pressure on wages, right? And so that's actually good. They're saying, who are the customers of some of these limited service restaurants? These are people who now have more money right. in their pocket. They talk about gas prices having been steady for a long time. And then the third thing out of probably I don't know how many was the digital the, the drive that this mm -hmm. has just become another significant right. growth engine. And so maybe, I mean, these valuations seem high, but if you believe there is a real secular another leg up, maybe I mean, they're not. Look what happened to Domino's Pizza right. as they were adopting technology. And I, granted, they're getting dinged now because of the rise of these um, delivery apps, but we saw problem, that stock. Right, so that, that was the big thing. I mean, they, and they pointed out that Chipotle is probably going to be the one that has the, the biggest potential benefit from digitization, as well as there may be somewhat of a store upgrade, so you get more people coming in. That being said, these stocks have just been, had a major, major run. So to Guy's point, you're not Madame Curie here discovering anything. This is, this is not new. So I'm a seller of all of these. I think the Golden Note was great, but it's too late. Well, you know, very different than Beyond Meat, though. 
this is a case where I think you let your winners run. I think a lot of people sell these things too soon. And, and, and so the point Goldman's that made, I think, is the most glaring one, is that comps are only up 27 bips, and yet EV EBITDA is up 16% for valuations, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. Starbucks and McDonald's are two names I've held for a while and, frankly, watched them re-rate. Uh, digital's a big part of it. Also, deliveries makes for bigger ticket items, and that's something that everybody wants to see in terms of the total sale. All right, well, you can read more about Goldman's big fast food call on our website on CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. A big warning for your money. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Why one top strategist is ringing the alarm as we head into the busiest week of the earnings season. And later, game over at the box office? What just happened over the weekend that could have Hollywood seeing stars? Fast Money is back after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. The dollar marching higher again in today's session. The greenback now closing in on a fresh two-year high. The big move comes as Brexit drama returns to the market. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson ramping up the rhetoric over the past 24 hours that a no-deal Brexit could be in the cards. So... What's your take on the dollar breakout here? here well, it, it, it hasn't quite broken out yet. It's at the top end of the range. But I would say the higher the dollar goes, the bigger the chance that the president's going to come out and intervene in the currency markets. I think in the currency markets, that's the worry you had. You've already had the Swiss National Bank do it last week. The Bank of Japan has said they're going to continue with very strong stimulus. Uh, you saw the British pound drop today. So those are a couple of the pillars. If you see the euro really drop, then you get that dollar breakout. That's going to cause problems for multinationals. We talked about but, Procter & Time out. Didn't the president say that he wasn't going to intervene in the currency market? No, Larry Kudlow said that. And I well, would, I so would add on the end of okay. it, there was a for now. Uh, the way I look at this is if you look at the dollar, it's where it was in 2015 in, in terms of the dollar index. In trade-weighted terms, it's actually a little bit cheaper. Um, and if you look at the central bank differentials at this point, uh, it's, it's hard to really argue that, the, that our Fed is in a place where it was really in 2015 or 14 mm -hmm. when the dollar was going up to, you know, 110 on the Dixie. So uh, in short, I agree. Uh, I'm not sure whether this administration, we should listen to what they're going to say they're going to do or not do. But I do think that a dollar intervention at this point point, especially in a world without inflation, um, is, is something that would be not very smart. All right. Well, the dollar's breakout comes just two days before the Fed decision on interest rates. Wall Street's expecting to see the first rate cut since the financial crisis. It's a move that could shake up your portfolio. Let's bring in Savita Supermanian, the head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy for Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Savita, welcome. It's always great to Thanks see you in so person. Great, great to be here. So 25 basis points. That's pretty much baked in. So, what's the so what do you think the market reaction is to something that's so widely anticipated? I mean, I think if we don't get 25 basis points, the market will throw a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And if we get more than that, I I think the market might freak out a little bit because that means that things are actually worse than than everybody thinks. So, I mean, I guess my best guess is we get 25 basis points. Beyond that, I suppose our view is that we continue to see the Fed backstop risk and do whatever it takes to sort of extend the cycle. I mean, it's a tough position to be in because you don't want to be short equities when you've got the Fed saying, we're going to do whatever we can to extend this bull market, to extend this economic cycle. But then on the other hand, you've got trade, you've got kind of paralysis of, of the corporate sector. So I feel like it's a really tricky market right now. I mean, what I think is super interesting is that when we look at the buy side, so when we look at institutional managers, they are more correlated with one another than we've ever seen it. So one of the things that we wrote about last week was that the overlap between 
long only mutual funds and hedge funds has reached peak levels. And I think this smacks of massive uncertainty, right? Like, I mean, there's always uncertainty in the market. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone, you know, next year. But right now, I think that uncertainty coupled with career risk is driving everybody into the same very narrow subset of stocks. And that was a note that came out specifically Journal. the line about career risk a couple weeks ago from Bank of America. Maryland. Yes, and that, exactly. That really caught my eye. So, so when the Fed is creating this environment here where you know that it's going to be backstopping risk, does right. that further um, crowd these trades? Uh, in it's, terms of it, it sort of feels like it. I mean, uh, basically what they're doing is they're extending the mantra that we've heard for, you know, over 10 years now, which is that we're here for you. Central banks and policymakers are going to grease the wheels, keep the cycle going. Um, we've had unprecedented uh, monetary stimulus. Now we're starting to see fiscal stimulus. So I feel like it is essentially kind of forcing investors into this very narrow subset of stocks that do reasonably well in an environment of, you know, zero interest rates, but not necessarily great economic growth, which is a weird environment. We haven't had this so until you actually you just mentioned we're starting to get some fiscal stimulus, right? Yes. So we have the election coming up. Likely politicians are going to want to keep the economy going. How big is the fiscal stimulus do you think going to be coming and in what sectors? Should I look at cyclicals versus defensive? How should I play that? Yeah, so it seems like we're ripe for fiscal stimulus. Everybody wants it. Bipartisan support. The problem is I don't think anyone agrees on how to fund it. Right. So you've got Republicans that want to cut taxes and you've got Democrats that want to cut spending. And, and I think it's going to be a big question mark until we get closer to the elections. When we get through the primary and we know who the Democratic candidate is going to be, then we'll have a little bit clearer idea. But I mean, think about it. We could have passed a pretty sizable fiscal stimulus bill over the last um, however long, eight years now. And we haven't because nobody can agree on how to fund it. So I worry that Fiscal stimulus is all that really makes sense now. I mean, stuff in the U.S. is old. It's breaking down. You go to airports here, and I mean, they're <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but um, but I don't know if we're going to ever get the, the politicians to agree on how to fund it. I think if we did see it, it would be great for industrials. It would be great for technology, for a lot of the more, you know, unit volume sales plays that haven't worked for a very long time. The question is, are we actually going to get that? And we've been waiting for fiscal stimulus for a really long time. So, so if I listen to, to something else I think you're worried about reading your note today is that you have these earnings revision ratios that, that look awful. Um, you have these sales revision ratios that look awful. And basically everything everybody said about the second half of the year in terms of guidance is, looks like it's playing out. You're, we're back to 2013 levels. Yeah. I mean, I think part of that, though, is, I mean, and tell me if, if I'm wrong, but I feel like this always happens. So there's a, there's a, a couple of quarters, then management uses is the, the rest of the year to guide down. Analysts are taking down numbers. Um, numbers for next year are way too high. Everybody knows it. I mean, how many investors actually think that the S&P is going to grow earnings at like 12% next year? Not a lot of people. So I think that we've already started to discount slower growth. And all that's happening now is that corporations are using this as an opportunity to guide down pretty aggressively because, you know, they don't really have a reason to guide up. Now, I have to say I'm a lot more positive than it sounds like I am on the longer term prospects for stocks because I still think, you know, the S&P 500 is relatively underowned. We still have a lot of investors piled into either bonds or bond-like stocks. So any sentiment measure we look at, any positioning measure we look at suggests that you know, maybe there's five or six stocks that are super crowded, but the rest of the market doesn't have a ton of positioning risk. I just worry, though, that we're at a point 
where the you know the 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 kind of the growth that we're seeing is so unusual that it's really squeezing investors into a very narrow subset of stocks. Right. So my best advice to anyone would be to stay out of those stocks and find something else. There's a lot of other really cheap, high quality, cyclical areas of the market. The U.S. consumer is doing fine. You know, there's lots of places to go besides FANG stocks, besides high growth, and besides defensives, right. and those are the spots that we would recommend. Savita, thank you. Thank Savita you. Superman. Great the fact that we, we the United States, they're even considering dollar intervention to me, again, is absolute madness. You have to ask yourself, what, what level of permanence, if any, would it have? And would, the, would the, the fact that we're doing it cause more harm than good? I say it would cause more harm than good. And, you know, again, with the dollar here at levels we haven't seen, I think, in a few years-ish, gold market continues to hang in there. I think, again, I'll say... The gold market once is trying to tell the market something. It's trying to tell the market that these central banks are out of control and that it wants to go higher. I still say, out of all the things we talked about, you stay in the gold miners. All right. You own some of these crowded I do. Does that concern you? Well, of course, I think, oh, Google's not crazy expensive, given the kind of quarter they just put up. So, uh, I, and I'm not worried about short-term, you know, trading around the market. So I'm staying in those. All right. We're all, all over this uh, big move and beyond meet in the after hours, touching after hours lows following its earnings results. We'll get a top analyst take on the quarter. And speaking of earnings, we're less than 24 hours away from Apple's big report. While the options market is betting, the stock could see a big drop when those earnings come out. Stay with us. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Beyond Meat hitting after our session lows on the back of uh, its earnings and the announcement of a secondary offering. The alternative meat maker had been on an incredible tear since its May IPO, up nearly 800%. Our next guest is the first Wall Street analyst to put a buy rating on the stock. She's since changed her tune, downgrading Beyond Meat to a neutral back in mid-June. We should note that the stock has climbed more than 75% since that call. Let's bring in Alexia Howard, the senior research analyst at Bernstein. Alexia, great to speak with you. Great to speak with you, too. What's your take on the quarter and, and more specifically, the secondary offering? So uh, with the quarter, it, it came through pretty strongly, um, better than consensus estimates. Uh, the sales were, were strong. The, uh, uh, the profits were, were good. Um, the guidance for the full year, they raised the sales estimate from $210 million up to $240 million, which is nice, but, you know, not exactly a massive move there. Uh, but bear in mind that that doesn't include some of their wins that uh, they've um, announced recently, including things like uh, the Tim Horton burgers, uh, things like the Dunkin' Donuts relationship that's just getting off the ground. So there's possibility for further good news as we roll through the rest of the year. Um, with the secondary offering, I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that we are going to get a, a more sizable float, although it's still a fairly small proportion of the overall uh, company's value that's uh, going to be publicly traded. Uh, they're clearly going to be using a lot of that to uh, ramp up their, their capacity um, um, for next year. Um, this is clearly a business where the problem is a high-quality problem of lots of demand from lots of different uh, avenues. Um, so uh, they're, they're obviously doing that so that they can get out ahead of the, uh, the, the rest of the competition. I presume um, I didn't get a chance to read that June downgrade, Alexia, but part of that would have been the run in the stock to that date in valuation concerns. Um, at what level does the stock have to get? I mean, now that we've seen another quarter of earnings and you said that they're largely pretty good, um, what level of the stock uh, would have to reach in order for you to get more bullish? 
Um, I think, I mean, we've, we've definitely seen the valuation being becoming more and more stretched over time. So uh, it re- that really is the constraint here. I think um, what we're looking at at the moment, we've had a string of really good news for, for the stock. Uh, if we did see a little bit of weakness at some point, um, I think uh, that might be a, an opportunity to get back in. But we'll have to see how it plays out. But it's definitely been a very volatile stock over the last few months, as you, as you rightly pointed out. That's Karen, let me ask you something. In terms of the, the competitive threats, which we talk a lot about here, when do you think we might start to see some real competition beside Impossible Burger, a Tyson or somebody like that, really trying to come in aggressively? So I think they, I mean, they've been up against the Impossible Burger um, fairly traditionally for, for some time now, particularly, obviously, exclusively in the restaurant sector. We've been staking it. Uh, their claims with different restaurant chains around the country. Um, we do now have Tyson um, having announced uh, some more products that they're bringing out on the plant-based front uh, later this year, or they've already started to launch them in select markets. Nestle has also talked about uh, bringing uh, one of their burgers over. They've already trialed it or started trialing uh, some of those in Europe, uh, but they're planning a, a U.S. launch um, again in the fall. Uh, and even companies like uh, ConAgra uh, with their Gardein brand are trying to get into the game. So I think what we, we as analysts are going to be doing is keeping a close eye on what's happening with the, uh, the, 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 the sales data that we're getting from the grocery channels, um, particularly, yes, really trying to see how are the uh, distribution, how is the shelf space developing as all of these different brands bring different products to the table. All right, Alexia, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for phoning and we appreciate your analysis. Alexia Howard of Bernstein. Um, let's trade it here, Tim. Well, good for her for, for really you know, yep. g- g- being both ways on this trade. And she was. She was early. She, she basically said, despite what seemed like a difficult valuation out of the gates, I commend her. Um, I, I think the competitive landscape is something that, well, maybe it's not feeding into the numbers we heard today. In fact, it's absolutely the opposite. Um, and that demand continues to grow for this name. I, I don't see where you can begin to justify this. Now, I don't see any competitive moat uh, that keeps this company away from all the competitors. Should we on this stock, I'll ask you this, BK, mm-hmm. because you've been a, a Tesla fan in the past. I have been. Um, should we, for this stock, suspend some of the basic fundamental valuation metrics? And I hate to say those <laughs> things, and I hate to say suspend yeah. that, because uh, you know ultimately you should. We do. But is this one of those stocks that will always trade on sentiment and momentum in some, to some degree? Um, I don't think so, actually. I think, I think there is some fundamental basis to this. When you're talking about a stock like Tesla, you're talking about really buying into Elon Musk's bigger vision than just a car. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, is there a bigger vision here? Yeah, maybe if you consider sausage bigger vision than, than hamburgers. Oh, you tasted it? I haven't no, tasted that. No, no. <laughs> but I, I do love breakfast such. But anyways, that's, that's a total aside. Point is, I'm not sure that this is a company that should or could get that pass from Wall Street saying, you know, er, the earnings don't matter ultimately. I think in the short term, the issue they're going to have is this capacity issue. How much do they need to spend? Do they need to build another factory? Do they need to expi- expand beyond their Missouri roots? I, I think that's something investors are going to start asking. All right, coming up, the first ever Fortnite World Cup kicking off in New York over the weekend with one lucky 16-year-old taking home a $3 million cash prize. So if you're just 16 and you've landed a big payday, what should you be doing with your money? Our traders have some advice. And later, Apple's day of reckoning, the tech giant gearing up to report earnings tomorrow, but one trader's betting against, or yeah, betting against Apple, betting that its rally is about to turn sour. Much more Fast Money right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Thousands descended upon Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York over the weekend for the Fortnite World Cup, where they saw a 16-year-old teenager walk away with $3 million, the largest amount ever won by an individual at an eSports event. So if you're just 16 and you won $3 million, bucks, <laughs> what is the one thing you would buy right now? Well, actually, there's well, two separate questions. There's one thing that you would buy, but there's one thing that you should buy, and we're going to do the should buy. Mm-hmm. Tim. Well, first of all, I think these guys should be investing in, in YouTube and other channels that will continue to support their brands. These guys are global superstars. Let's be clear. But, but, but if I'm these guys, I'd be investing in gear. I'd be investing in, and I mean, I mean apparel. I mean, these guys are the coolest kids in town. And so between sunglasses, but maybe American Eagle, some, I, I don't even know what's cool anymore. So I'd have to defer <laughs> to Brian or Guy about this. Um, but, but again, guy. I, I, I think yeah, they, guy. these guys are... They're, they are fashion setters uh-huh. and trend setters in, in, in their demographic, and that's exactly where I'd be investing. So when you say gear, you mean like chips? No, like I an NVIDIA? I mean like clothing. You mean no, like I mean, clothing. sorry, I mean, oh, okay. I mean clothing. Right. I mean yeah. apparel, and I mean, you know, that which makes these kids look cool. Like that hoodie I had on Friday. Oh, I mean, yeah, those guys really made, you look cool. was very, made me look cool for five minutes. That's it. <laughs> but he wore it for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Karen. I mean, I, I'm not sure I understand the game. Is it what you would invest or like what asset you would buy? That kind of thing? Or he's talking about starting a business no, kind like of what? what, what well, what, like money, money advice for a 16-year-old with $3 million bucks. Yeah, if it's your first $3 million bucks, I guess I'd probably put some away, something relatively conservative. Maybe even do like, you know, residential housing. Maybe do a two-family house. You put your parents downstairs and you uh-huh. can live upstairs. How cool is that if you're 16? And you live upstairs. With the parents? I don't know. Oh, they're, yeah. yeah. I guess he's they're the downstairs. You still anyway. have to keep the parents around. Yeah. So, yeah. man, this is right. the best way to do it. And yeah. then I'd probably, you know, Google's my biggest position, so I'd want to own some of that. Gets to your YouTube point as well. Be a modern-day Peter Lynch. I mean, if you need to know who he is, if you watch at home, you go to your Google machine and you can find out. But, you know, you see what all your buddies are doing with, you know, in terms of gear and stuff. Buy what you know. Buy what the people in your little sphere of Fortnite is, is doing. Not that I would know, Tim, because I, you know, I can't I, spell Fortnite. But I'm sure your friends are doing things that you're watching. You're going to the mall. You're eating at certain places. Invest in the things that are cool to you. Brian Kelly. Well, we're giving them money advice, right? On, and money is changing. So I would invest in that change, and I would buy Bitcoin. Oh, my By God. By the way, no, BK, that's not surprising. BK, I think you need to do a, a public service announcement and say they should not go out and buy Lambos. Right? They should I not, mean, buy, not Lambos. buy Lambos. No, yeah. definitely don't, don't buy Lambos. Don't, he doesn't even have a driver's license. Well, yeah. he's, 16. Well, it's 16. he's 16. He wants one. I drove the yeah. family wagon and therefore didn't even want to get my driver's license at 16. So I blew it off. But if I had that kind yeah, of Lambo. Lambo. Maybe. Up next, we're gearing up for Apple's big earnings report. Why the options market's betting tomorrow's results could take a big bite out of the stock. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Fast Money will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The final FANG stock reports tomorrow, and it's up to Apple to give tech a big boost. Check out how the rest of the names have fared since reporting. Only Alphabet is trading higher, and options traders think earnings could take a bite out of Apple. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. 
Hi there. So Apple is a name that typically moves about 6% on average the week that they report. That's by the end of the week, just looking now at the last eight quarters. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 4.3%, and a smaller-than-average implied move usually reflects some level of complacency by the options markets. However, today we did see that the put-call ratio was about double its average, so puts out-traded calls, which is uncommon for Apple. And one of the trades that I noted actually was the August 195 puts. Somebody bought a little over 4,000 of those. They paid about a dollar and a half. So the buyer of those puts is making a bearish bet that Apple could fall below that 195 strike price by at least the dollar 50 that they paid. So that would represent a fairly good size decline from where it's currently trading. So not everyone apparently is as sanguine as the implied move would suggest that they might be. What are you expecting on Apple, Guy? Interesting. Sanguine. I love that use. I, I, it sets up extraordinarily similar to the way Facebook did. You know, mm -hmm. Facebook we talked about it. it's going to push up towards that recent all-time high from last year. In the case of Facebook, it was 211. Thought it could fail, and that's what's really happened. Apple, the high was last August 227 or so. I don't think we're going to test that level, but as we like to say, close enough for government work. So I do think there's a real chance that the market's going to fade their earnings release tomorrow. So I'm sort of in the Mike Coco Beware camp. When do we start looking ahead to the release of the 5G phones? And I'm asking this because, you know, if we do see some sort of a pullback in Apple as the options market seems to be predicting or expecting, is that a chance to, to buy at that point? Well, sure. I mean, think of the installed base and another refresh for at a time when the big pushback has been that the, they've elongated the refresh cycle, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I do think that disappointment in handsets is still the, 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 the biggest driver here, unless, of course, uh, you can see some extraordinary services revenue, which is impossible at this point. So um, I, I don't think the positioning in this name is, is as bullish as we have seen going into other prints. And that gives me more confidence for staying long and listening to guidance, which we now know is going to be a little different than it was. Yeah, Karen? Well, I'm wondering, okay, let's say we start to see 5G near and near on the horizon. Yes. Does it give them a pass for crappy quarters yes. up until I mean, that, then? I guess that's, yeah, that's the your question. question. So if that's the case, then you have either crappy quarters or right. good quarters until then. And if they're not going to be penalized for crappy ones, well, then maybe the risk reward is interesting. I mean, we had Ming-Chi Kuo today coming out. The South Korean analyst is very highly respected on Apple, saying that he believes that all the phones introduced uh, will have 5G, the next round of phones. That could be a major. I mean, that could be, could be. competitive to lower-cost Android phones, for instance. It, it, it could be. I, but, I mean, I don't think you have to buy it today to make that play, right? I think you there's plenty of quarters you can have a disappointment. Right now, it's just kind of sleepy. I think everybody's worried, concerned about what services are going to be. They don't really have a great product in the service area. They haven't had one ever, so they're still a handset company. I think there's a lot of room for disappointment. If the stock is down... 5 10% from here, then maybe you can revisit that 5G play, but I don't think it's today. It'll be interesting to hear what Tim Cook has to say, and of course we'll be covering that conference call religiously yes, tomorrow we night. As we should. About, about one, China, and two, potential regulatory overhang. The regulatory overhang would be, well, that would be question 1A and 1B, would be mm -hmm. what's up with China and what's going on with the regulatory. And he has to address both, and I'm sure they will, but to me, the the conference call probably is the most important thing tomorrow, more so than we've seen in quite some time. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune in to the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we've got the final trade.
Let's get a check on Beyond Meat here. This is going to be a big mover in tomorrow's session. A big mover in the after hours, down 13 and a third percent. After hours session lows. This on the back of decent results, but it's the uh, secondary offering of three and a quarter million shares. That's a spooky investors at this point. So Beyond Meat breaching 200, down 13 and a third percent. Time for the final trade now. Let's go around the horn, Tim. So when we're talking to Savita about what is actually working in this environment, certainly earnings season, healthcare once again, it's as if you could have scripted this. Their earnings beats are almost 76% of the healthcare sector, and yet I don't think has really fully been priced in. It has proven to be very defensive in an environment where the breadth, at least overall, has been decent. But you have these 30 stocks or 40 stocks that are crowded trade. So UNH is a name I like in this environment. Chairwoman. Yes. All right. So Wednesday morning, we'll get GE. So obviously, the name's had some trouble over the last few years. I am intrigued by it. We could see a turn here. The way I played it is long leaps because we don't know really what the downside is, and it could really turn, and debt works the other way, too, if they delever. So GE. Love it. Yes. Peace. So Carter Worth mentioned a couple buys. I agree with them on Square SQ. If you're wondering what's going on, check out what Alibaba's doing with my bank. A lot of data there. Data's the new oil. Yeah. J.W. Nordstrom report the first week of August. Big short interest. I think squeeze it into that. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now.